everyone. Welcome to the Word for the World podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Glass, and today we'll be talking about Malachi. Okay, so Malachi is a book in the Bible. It's a very small book. It's at the end of the New or the end of the Old Testament, rather. And uh, it is the last prophet that speaks to Israel before Christ comes on the scene. And there's a uh, space of silence from God in that period of about 400 years. And Malachi is a book that is mostly misunderstood and kind of overlooked for certain reasons. But uh, what I want to focus on in this series, there will be at least six in this series, that uh, there are six different disputes that God makes with the children of Israel. And in each one of these, God has a reason to uh, be upset with them. Because this is a time period it takes about takes place about a hundred years after they return from their exile in Babylon. And the temple has been rebuilt and all of these things are going on. And the problem is the state of the people is not really in a great place. Because if you go back and you read in Isaiah and all of the prophets and Ezekiel coming through that time, it was prophesied that there would come a time when the temple is rebuilt and there would be justice and uh, God would sit on his throne and and the innocent would not be uh, treated badly and really would be this golden age. And so when they return from their exile they rebuild the temple and many people are expecting for these prophecies to come to pass well while they are waiting for prophecies to come to pass they are not taking care of their own hearts and not doing the things that God has uh, instructed them to do and there is a lot of corruption and uh well, yeah, just corruption that's happening, false worship, worshiping other gods. So the state of Israel at this time is very, very poor. And it's at this time that God is kind of telling them, all right, uh, I've had enough. And he shows them in these words his mercy and his grace and he really shows them how much that he loves them. But you'll see that the condition of the people in Israel is their heart was very hard toward God. And they no longer revered him. They no longer worshipped him. They really no longer knew him. And they no longer had the desire to know him. So we've got a lot to kind of look at here. 
And I'm just going to go into the first dispute today. And it really takes place in Malachi chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 5. And this is subtitled, His Chosen Love. So it says, The burden of the Lord, I'm sorry, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So we start this off that this is a burden. This is something that is heavy that's laying on this prophet. This burdensome word from the Lord to give to the people of Israel. And what it is, as he says in verse 2, he says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? So here we have God telling them very plainly, he says, I have loved you. And the people respond back and say, how have you loved us? You know, their their response to this is not a, uh, oh, well, that's nice. It, or thank you for loving us. It's, yeah, right. How have you loved us? You've not been nice to us. That's not good right now. We're having a bad time right now. Where were you? And they really have forgotten the God of their fathers. So God answers their question and says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. And laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness. And the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. So right away, God is explaining to them what a people that he has not liked are. So he says, Esau was Jacob's brother. And by all rights, Esau should have gotten the blessing and the birthright from his father Isaac. But God did not choose Esau. God chose Jacob, who would later become Israel. He says, I loved Jacob, and he hated Esau. Now, he goes and he starts to talk. And then he starts talking about this land of Edom. And if you're not familiar with the story, you don't you won't understand what this land of Edom is. And it's really the land of Esau. And if you turn with me back into Genesis 25, I'm going to take you through this quick little history of the story of Jacob and Esau because I think it's very important that we understand the context 
which God is using to speak to Israel through his prophet Malachi. So in chapter 25 and verse 19, we'll start and it says, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pandanarema, the sister of Laban in Syria. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the people, the one people, shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger. So here we have God, during the pregnancy of these two men, telling their mother what to expect. And she is uh, a lot of times portrayed in a very bad light because she worked together with her son Jacob to to take this birthright and, and, no, not the birthright, but take the blessing from her other son. But you have to remember that she was given this prophecy or, or word from the Lord about these children. It says there will be two people. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So this is something that sets up what God is talking about. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment. And they called him Esau. And after that his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and this and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So here you see that Esau came first. And he was uh, later described as a wild man. But I think it's funny how they describe him here that he was red all over. He was red and he was like a hairy garment. And... Uh, You'll, you'll see this later in the story where this comes into to play. It's a very specific thing and why they, they mention it here. But then what it says is on the heels of Esau, here's Jacob holding on to his older brother. So it was almost like a fight in the womb to who was going to get out first. Like they, they, they heard the word of the Lord and they didn't want to be the younger or the older. So 
they grow up in normal fashion for their day. And we'll move on to verse 29. And we're going to see the first encounter between uh, Jacob and Esau. It says, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore his name was called Edom. So this is the first time that Esau is called Edom. And Esau said unto Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. Okay, I've got that copied in twice. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. So, rather than you know be nice to his brother and say, Here, okay, I've got some, some lentils here, some extra. He says, sell me your birthright. Now, Jacob uh, is not a bad guy here. Jacob is fulfilling the promise of God if you are paying attention. But Esau has a bad attitude. He's come in from the field and he was not feeling well because he hadn't eaten. And basically... He's telling his brother to give him the food. And his brother has made this food and, and stayed around the house and did what he was what he was supposed to be doing for himself and doesn't want to give this up. And he's inspired here to ask for this birthright. This is an Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So when you look at this, Esau, for him, this birthright was meaningless. It had no value to him. He even despised it, it says. And later we see that uh, if you want to read these whole this whole story, it's from Genesis chapter 25 through... through 27 and you'll really kind of get the whole picture but it's a lot of reading if I'm going to just do it on here so if you if you look and you see that uh, Esau is still the older but he doesn't have his birthright anymore and I'm sure his father Isaac knew this was happening so Isaac comes and tells Esau Look, go go uh, hunt me some deer and bring it back and cook it the way that I like it and I will give you my blessing. And his mother hears, overhears this and goes and immediately runs to Jacob 
and tells him what to do. And Jacob actually puts on a goat skin on his hand so that his father will think that he's Esau because Esau was that hairy. And it fools him. So when he, when uh, Jacob comes in and he does all these things, uh, Isaac says, "Why? Wait a minute! You you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. What's going on here? You've made the meat like Esau, and you you you're hairy like Esau, but you sound like your other you're somebody else." And he asks him point blank, "Are you Esau?" And Jacob says, I am. So Isaac says, okay. And then we'll look down here at verse 20, or yeah, verse 27. In chapter 27. It says, and he came near and kissed him and smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, now this is the blessing that he was going to give Esau, but this is Jacob. See the smell of my son is the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God gave thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, and blessed be every one that blesseth thee. So here is this great blessing that was meant for Esau in Isaac's mind. And here we see that in this blessing becomes the, the telling and the fulfillment of what God has already told Rebekah that the younger shall uh, be master over the older. So he gives him this, that nations will bow down to him, and he will be lord over his brethren. And he goes out. And just as Jacob goes out, Esau comes in with this meat that he's worked on, that he went and hunted and cooked, and he's brought to his father like his father told him to. And when uh, he walks in and says, here, I've got your stuff. I've got everything you wanted, Dad. And Isaac says, you were just here. I just talked to you. You just, I just ate the meat. I'm full, man. I ate it all. What, what are you talking about? Here I am. And he realizes what he's done, and he's given the blessing to his brother Jacob. So in verse 34, we're going to pick up and we're going to see what, the, what this blessing that he gives Esau is. Verse 34. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O father. So Esau is bitter. He's screaming. Bless me. Don't you have more than one blessing? And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? 
For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? So here you, you see the real character of Esau. Esau comes and says, He took away my birthright. He took it from me. Well, no, he didn't take it from you. He bought it from you. And you said you didn't care for it. It didn't mean anything to you. So now he takes your blessing, which the blessing is going to be the inheritance. Now you're upset. Because now you're not going to get the things you thought you were going to have. And you're not going to be top dog. So he gets really upset about this and he's screaming. And I'm sure everyone in the camp could hear him. And he says, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac says, answered him and said unto Esau, behold, I have made him thy Lord. And all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And with all and with and what shall I do now unto thee, my son? So he's saying, I already gave it all away. I don't got nothing left. What am I going to do for you, Esau? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. So he's screaming again. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, And this is Esau's blessing. Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew from heaven above. And by the sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that shalt, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because the blessing wherewith his brought father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. So you see that Esau's attitude hasn't changed any. And he's upset because he didn't get the blessing that he wanted. Even though he's going to get the same fatness of the earth, the same dew of heaven, he still has to serve his brother. And I think it's interesting here, if you remember, there's a, a scripture when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane that Peter smite, smites one of the servants of the uh, priests with a sword and whacks his ear off. And Jesus says, put that away. Well, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. And this is a very interesting point because this is something that the blessing of Esau has in it. It says, and by the sword thou shalt live. And there, the story of Jacob and Esau goes on for a little while. And they end up coming back and kind of reconciling. But it's after many, many years. 
But I want to take a look at this nation that is brought out from Esau. Now remember, God says, I hated Esau. He says, I hate Esau. Why does he hate Esau? Because Esau did not care for God. Esau did not look to God. He did not see any value in the things of God. He only saw value in the things of earth. He only saw value in this food, this power, this stuff that we have around us that is tangible to us. He was not concerned with the blessing or the birthright. And if you understand the birthright, the birthright really is the promise that was given to Abraham about being the father of a nation, of many nations, and being a great nation among the world and all of these, these things. Because then later in the story, God gives that same prof- promise to Isaac. And then later, Isaac, Jacob gets it after Isaac. So this is the birthright that comes down, is the promise of being God's chosen people, his chosen love. So when you come and look at this, you see that Esau was never going to be that because that wasn't in his heart. He never wanted what God had in store for his chosen people. So if we... Go down in history a little ways. We're going to skip over quite a bit because we're already almost a half an hour in. We're going to go to the book of Obadiah. And Obadiah is a prophet. And he prophesies to the land of Edom. Because by this time, uh, the, the exile has happened. The Babylon has come and taken... Israel away into captivity. And there's some stuff that happens during that that makes God very, very displeased with Edom, with the nation of Esau. So it says, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, And let us arise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Thou, though thou exalt thyself as an eagle, and thou shalt set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. So, here this is a promise that God is telling them, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to take you down. You're not going to be a part of this world anymore. And if we skip down into verse 8, we'll see some reasons why God has done these things. 
says, Shall I not this day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom, and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Tamon, shall be dismayed, to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. So here we see that there was this violence against his brother Jacob. Well, I said before that Jacob and Esau kind of reconciled. So what's what's the point here? What, what's God getting to? And in the next verses, we're going to see. He says, in the day, in verse 11, in the day that thou stoodest on the one side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. So the nation of Esau was not there to help Jacob. In fact, they were helping the other side. And then God goes on to tell them, But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in this day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity." Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. And in verse 18, it says, now we're going to start in verse 17. It says, But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in him and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. So here we see this whole story that Esau was really not doing what he was supposed to do. So Esau never started following God. He never became a, a, a chosen one of God. He never changed his heart 
except he didn't want to fight with his brother anymore. So they became two nations. And Esau became Edom, and Jacob became Israel. And when you look at this, you see that when the captivity was going on, Esau was really, his nation was really being a, you know, a pain. They would go and find the ones that were hiding and deliver them to the, to the captors. And they would cut off the ones that were escaping and catch them and bring them away. Why? Because they were casting lots on the land of Israel. They were trying to take it over and spoil the land. They wanted Jerusalem because there was a lot of wealth in Jerusalem. They wanted to take these things for their possessions. And God stands up and says, you should not have done this. And for this reason, you will no longer be a thing anymore. It says, Jacob's house shall be a fire and Joseph a flame and the house of Esau will be stubble. Well, let's, let's think, take a... Let's take a minute and think about what stubble is. And it's not just, uh, you know, when you don't shave. But stubble is also dried straw that's left in the field after the harvest. A lot of times in the, the fall around here, you'll see when they've cut down the, the corn, this dried up stuff that sticks up about, you know, 8 to 10 inches. And if that stuff catches fire, it goes. That's stubble. And the same for, for wheat. It's the same thing. So what he's saying is you will be cut down. And what is remained of you will be burnt. You will be ashes. Because the house of Jacob and of Joseph, what is that? That is Israel, will consume you. So it will devour them. And there won't be any remaining of the house of Esau. So why is this important? Why are we talking about these things when we take a look at Malachi? Well, if we go back to Malachi chapter 1 and we look at what we read before, God is showing them, look, this is what happens to the ones that I don't like, the ones that have not followed me. And not only because they haven't followed me, but because they hurt you, I did these things to them. And everyone at that time knew exactly what God was saying. He says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Were they not the same family? Did they not come from the same parents? Both of them, full-blooded brothers, twins. And the Lord said, yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. And he laid Esau's mountains and his heritage to waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now this word dragons um, is translated in the uh, King James Bible. It's mostly uh, uh, referring to jackals. And jackals are an animal that actually exists. Dragons, not so much. 
<clears throat> but see, Edom says we are impoverished. They've already been built. You know, they've already been destroyed like God said they would be. And they say they're going to go build again. And God says, yeah, they'll build again, but I'll throw it down again. Because they are the border of wickedness. And he, he says, my indignation is against them forever. And he says he does this to show you that he will be magnified from the border of Israel. That he wants to be seen by Israel as who he is. The God of their covenant. The God of their, of their people. The protector of their land. Because the scripture says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now it's interesting that God uses this because God is actually speaking to them in such a way that he's trying to shake them up, make them see how, how good he really is and how much he really loves them. And I think about sometimes, you know, when you're a child, you you say things to your parents that are not nice. And you you say, "You don't love me. You've you've never loved me. I'm adopted." And you know, you're really just trying to say things to hurt your parents because you're a child and you're being, you know, a child and being mean. And your parents will look at you and, and sometimes they'll tell you, okay, so I hate you, right? I don't love you, right? Right, you don't love me. Well, you remember this time that somebody was picking on you and I came after them? Yeah. Okay, what about all the food you get to eat? Okay. You know you have a bedroom that's all your own and you have, you know, video games and Movies and TV and all, all these wonderful things. Did you pay for that? No. But I don't love you, right? No, you don't love me. Okay, well, if I don't love you, how about I take all those things away from you? And then you see that, you know, when you're a child, you hear that they're going to take stuff away from you. You're, you weren't thinking in those terms. You were thinking because the they didn't do the one thing you just asked. They don't love you. But you're not paying attention to all the other things that they have done for you. And it's the same thing that God is doing here. And actually, it is his chosen people, his chosen love. He is looking at them not as children here, but almost as if you were having a, a fight with a spouse that no longer cared for you. And God is speaking to them in this manner. He says, I have loved you. I've put up with a lot. And I've loved you. And you don't even see it. You don't even understand how much I've done for you. And he says, have I not chosen you over these others? Have I not went to bat for you? Have I not been that vengeful spirit that would take vengeance on all those who would hurt you and harm you? Have I not protected you? I destroyed an entire nation of people because they did not treat you right. 
So when you pay attention to this dispute, you really take an, an image of the people as being stubborn and pig-headed and God being tired of them. You say, well, God gets tired? Later he says that you weary him with your words. I want you to understand something. When you pray to God, and you, you've done things that are wrong, and you pray to him, you are not wearying God if you have a sincere heart. But if you're a people that, like this Israel, that don't care for anything that is God, and you only do the things in the law and the commandments of God out of obligation, and not because of any sincere desire to have a relationship with God, then you can weary him. He can be tired of that. Just like if you were married to someone who didn't love you, and you were giving them everything that you could, and you were giving them all the love that you had, and it didn't matter to them how tired of that you would become. And this is what God is saying. I've loved you. And they're saying, no, you haven't. You haven't done what we want you to do. So when we come to God and we speak to him, we must remember that it isn't out of obligation that we talk to God. We're not obligated to speak to him. We're not obligated to do anything. But if you choose him and you love him, you will do these things. You will recognize his love for you. See, this is, in this first dispute, this is what God is trying to get the people to understand, is that I want you to know and acknowledge that I love you. And they refuse. So when you come to God and you can say, I'm unworthy, I'm not this, and I'm too bad at that, and I'm not good enough for God. Well, okay. But God does not want to hear that. God wants you to acknowledge that he loves you and that he is good. And the character of God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering. And he will suffer your mistakes with a clean heart, with an honest heart, for a very, 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 very long time.
In fact, he'll never turn away from you, even if you continue to make mistakes. See, that's something that many churches get wrong, is they think that you can make so many mistakes and then God's done with you. This situation in the Old Testament where God was wrathful upon people wasn't about the mistakes that they made, but it was about the condition of their heart and what they were not doing. And it wasn't about the sacrifices. It wasn't about the holy days. It wasn't about the law. It was about not really caring to be with God. That's when God's suffering gets shortened. That's when God says, okay, I've had enough. That's when God says, I'm going to flood the world and I'm going to keep eight people and some animals. The rest of y'all can, you know, go on your merry way. So you don't want to be a part of this wonderful thing. See, think about this. You're a person that doesn't believe in God. Or worse yet, you're a person that believes in God but still doesn't want anything to do with him. But you're living on his planet that he made. You're, you're messing up things in his world that he provided for us to live on and for us to enjoy. It's basically like a child, an unruly child being in the home as an older teenager going around and just tearing stuff up. You say, fine, you don't want to be in my house? Don't be in my house. Get out of my house. You don't want to live by the rules? Go. Make your own choices, your own decisions, go on. So so it wasn't about punishment. It was just evicting them because they didn't want to live here anyway. They didn't want to take part of what God had created for them. And they had ruined it. So the whole point to this message is to first understand the historical context of Malachi, where he was in time, and then to look at what God is saying to the people of Israel out of Malachi. He's saying, I loved you. And it's amazing when you look at it, that God is giving it in the past tense. I have loved you. I have loved you. I'm done. So, we're going to go ahead and take a minute and close here this episode. because I think I've covered everything, but I want you to think about this. Do you accept God's love? Do you believe him when he says he loves you? 
Or do you continue to think he's an angry judge? An all-knowing taskmaster that's just waiting for you to mess up. Because if that's your attitude, then you really don't know God. And I would invite you to get to know him. Be honest. If you really want to know the God that I serve, the gracious, honest, just God that I serve, then you have every opportunity that you can do that. But don't look at him through the eyes of religion. Look at him through the eyes of relationship. And then you'll start to understand why God does the things that he does. God bless you and have a wonderful day.